Hi, good morning. Good to see all of you here. And you're, you're, you may be wondering, where, where is everybody? Okay, well, uh, they were where I was yesterday. Uh, we've got probably a couple hundred marrieds that uh, are at the marriage retreat in Palm Springs. So you can pray for them. It's really rough there in Palm Springs. I was with them yesterday. We miss them. But you are blessed. I came back to be here with you this morning. That's how important you are. And if you're a guest here today, want to welcome you. It's great to have you. Uh, we're so glad you're here. And we're starting a brand new series today called Starting Point. Okay, and as you saw in the video, there's so many things that have a starting point uh, in our lives. You had a starting point. Some of you were started on purpose. Some of you were started on accident. But we're very glad you were started. Uh, some of you may just be the product of the miracle of modern science in the form of test tube baby. Who knows? But uh, there's a starting point for, for everything. Everything has a starting point. Uh, romance has a starting point. Remember when you were young? I don't know when you first uh, had that feeling, that inkling of you were in love, right? Maybe nine years old, right? And she was your cousin. That was awkward, right? You really liked her, and hopefully you've moved on from, from that. But everything has a starting point. Marriage has a starting point. Your career has a starting point. Uh, your education had a starting point. Uh, everything had a starting point. But one of the things, your faith also had a starting point. And it doesn't matter what religion, whether you come from a Christian background or really if you had no faith at all, there was a starting point. You were handed some blocks. Maybe it was at, uh, at Mass. Maybe it was at Temple. Maybe it was at Camp. Maybe VBS. Maybe it was in Sunday school. But you were given some, some building blocks, and your faith was started. And probably was, for most of us, it was when we were children. We were given some starting points to our faith, and we came to believe in God right? But here's one of the challenges. As we move along in our faith, and, and these were probably some of the things that we were given, the framework for faith. Number one, we were taught God is good, right? Most of us were taught that God was good, right? You say that in the meal prayer if you did that. God is good. God is great. You know the rest, right? Thank you for this food that we're about to receive that he gave us, right? And then another one is uh, God punishes evil and rewards the good. You know, maybe we were taught this when we were young, and, and this was kind of a motivator to do right when we were little, right? If you do what's right, you're, you'll be rewarded. If you don't, there's going to be a consequence. And then another one, God, God answers prayer. God answers prayer. And I remember what my parents used to tell me when I was young with regard to framework of faith. They used to tell me, and it impacted me deeply, that when you do things in your life, there's going to be a consequence. And also, when things happen in your life, God's trying to get your attention. And there were, there were different things that happened in my you know, teenage years, and, and they used to sit down with me and they'd tell me, hey, maybe God's trying to get your attention to get you on the right track. And you know what? That had a profound impact on me in my youth. Because I, I remember, you know, when things would happen, I would kind of get back on track and, and start to do right. But here's what happens. When, when we're adults, what happens to our faith 
is this, this framework for faith comes under fire. For example, God is good, but I see a lot of bad in the world. How can God be good if there's so much bad in the world? And so our faith becomes, comes under attack. And then, you know, God punishes evil and rewards the good. Well, I see a lot of people who are doing evil who are getting rewarded. And I'm out here doing good, and I don't feel rewarded. See, what happens with what we started as children with our faith as it doesn't, it doesn't match up and it doesn't progress as we get older as adults. It comes under fire. And then this last one, God answers prayer. Well, he hasn't answered my prayer. And so we go through this, you know, when we started out so sincere, so genuine, and so solid in our faith when we were children, when we become adults and we, we, we face some of these things and we look at some of these things, our faith doesn't come along as our maturity comes along. This woman, Karen Armstrong, she, she was very insightful, and she said this about the progression of faith when we're growing up in church and how we grow up to maturity. She said this. She said, many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God about the same time we learned about Santa Claus. But while our understanding of Santa Claus, the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. Not surprising, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied he existed. Maybe we can bring this in a little bit. You know, this is a sad story that happens to a lot of young people today. And the reality of it is, we don't know how to keep up with our faith. And a lot of times when we're younger, those building blocks that we were given towards our faith, they don't stand the test of time, and we don't grow and mature in our understanding of who God is and how to build our faith. And so this thing that she's talking about is real, particularly for young people. And particularly for a lot of adults, what we spent most of our young life doing, going to church, then when we get older, we go to college, we get our job, we start to waver in our faith. And see, this woman, Karen Armstrong, she wrote a book called A Case for God, and it's a great book because it really describes that God is in everything if you'll take the time to look if you'll t take the time to, to allow your faith to mature and grow. And this is one of the things that, that I want to say today is this, is that adults often need a new starting point. See, because if your faith isn't standing strong, and I want to ask you today, on a scale from 1 to 10, where would you put your faith in God? And not just as, you know, your confidence is saying, well, I believe in God. No, I'm saying to the point where you're willing to give your life and put your life out there and live the life for God. If some of us are honest, we would say, you know, when we go through a challenge, my, my faith is probably about a five, maybe a six on a good day. See, and that's not going to cut it. And God wants to provide us with so much more. And so we're going to begin a series called starting point because 
Adults often need a starting point. Guess what? I got to tell you guys today, I need a starting point. And so we're going to hit the reset button on our faith. You know, it's interesting. You know, we have these, uh, we have these, these, these smartphones, right? I don't know if yours ever does this, but mine, mine gets kind of weird. Doesn't respond. It locks. It tweaks, right? You ever had that problem? What do you do with it when it's locked up or it's not working right? You do a reboot, right? And you start it over. And sometimes you have to do it a couple of times. You guys are going too far. Who did that? Did you do that, Dan? You're fired, Dan. Can't fire volunteers. But we do this, we do this with our phones, right? We reset. But sometimes when our faith is, is quivering and it's not working and it's locked, we don't know how to reset our faith. So that's what Starting Point, this series, is all about. We are going to reset our faith and to go back to the beginning because sometimes when we look at our faith as a child and the stories we were told about the Bible, and the Bible says it doesn't stand the test of time as we grow older. And so it's so important for us to hit the reset button. So I hope you're ready today to hit the reset button and start with a clean slate. What does that look like? What if, what if I had never come to know the Scriptures and I just came into church today with no background? How would I start? How do I start over? How do I begin anew with a reset on my faith? And one of them is this. The Bible says it's not an adequate starting point or returning point for many adults. And some of you are getting a little uncomfortable with that because it's something we've been told. And I, I was told that for a long time. The Bible says, but you know, when somebody asks you a question, was Genesis, was the story in the creation in Genesis, was it six days, literal six days, or was it 600,000 years for each, each period that they call a day? You know, and, and, and we don't have the answer for that. I don't have the answer for that. And did Adam and Eve really walk around naked in the garden? You know, these are questions. But what happens with our faith in the Bible, what we thought was so infallible and unflappable, sometimes when we get called under question, it's like a house of cards. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And your faith can come under fire if that's what your faith is built on. And see, to have the expectation to have an answer for every single question that somebody brings up about the Bible, and that's going to determine whether your faith remains strong or not, that's hard to do. So you've got to decide, and, and, and understand this, the Bible says was never intended to be the starting point for the Christian faith. Never was. It's a great foundation, and the Bible's awesome. I want you guys to understand, I, I read the Bible every day, and it helps my faith so much. It's so awesome. But when you just walk around saying, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, and you don't read it, someone can walk, walk along and just kind of knock it down for your faith. Not for my faith, but for your faith. But understanding, in the first century, they didn't even have the Bible. Did you know that? that the complete Bible wasn't even put together until 350 years later after 
the steps of Jesus. And so you couldn't walk around as a New Testament Christian in the first, second, and even third century. You couldn't say the Bible says, because where is it? They didn't have it. So how can we base our faith, or how did they base their Christian faith on something they didn't have? And see, that's why it was never intended to be, the Bible says, what was a starting point for the first century for the followers of Jesus? What was it? This is a huge question. What was the starting point for them? So today we're going to look at a conversation that the Apostle Paul had with people who had zero faith. I mean, none at all. No background. They had no faith in God, no background with with the Old Testament, the New Testament. They started with zero faith. And that conversation is very interesting to how Paul led them to faith and their foundation, what was it? And so we're going to look at it from the Acts of the Apostles. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When this was written, the Acts of the Apostles, it's not actually the Bible when it started. It was a travel journal. It was written by the doctor, Luke, and he basically dictated everything that happened and followed the apostles around, and primarily he followed the apostle Paul around. And he wrote down exactly what took place, what Paul said, how the interactions happened. It's basically a historical reference to the Acts of the Apostles. Who was Paul? Well, we know who Paul was. He was one of the followers of Jesus. He was an apostle. Nobody disputes that. His letters that he wrote, nobody disputes whether he wrote them. There are a couple where they're not sure if he wrote them or not, like Hebrews. But for the most part, all of the epistles, he wrote them. Nobody argues that. He walked the earth. He was who he was. And he wrote these epistles. And this, this actual book or this, this letter, this travel journal was written about 20 years after the acts of Jesus and the steps of Jesus. Who was Paul? Well, originally he was Saul of Tarsus. Was he a Christian then? No, he was actually the opposite. He was a, he was a Christian hater. He tried to kill and imprison Christians. That's an incredible story in and of itself. That he went around trying to imprison Christians, and then all of a sudden, in one day, his whole life changed. Because Paul was somebody who found out about something that took place by the witnesses of what took place. See, Paul came to know what he knew about Jesus by those who were there when it took place. And not just a few, hundreds of them he interviewed, but primarily the ones that were closest to Jesus during his ministry. And see, when this was written, the Acts of the Apostles, there there wasn't a gospel yet. Mark hadn't been written yet. Matthew hadn't been written yet. Luke hadn't been written yet. And John hadn't been written yet. That came a few years later. So there was no, well, let's go to the Bible. The Bible says, see, there wasn't something written yet. And so what did they use? And so we're going to pick it up. Paul, one afternoon, was in the city of Athens. And he walks through the city, and we're going to pick it up where he's there. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 16, he says, when Paul was waiting for them, maybe some of his other followers that were with him, in Athens, 
he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols, temples. And uh, I've got this uh, picture up here for you guys. It's, a, it's an actual picture of some of, the, some of the, the altars that were littered in Athens and in Greece. And this one in particular, now we put the lettering on here, but this is, this is an artifact, this is an archaeological find in Greece of these kinds of altars. And if you go to Greece now, to Athens, Greece, you can see some of the ruins of these temples. And there were temples everywhere to different gods. And this one in particular we're going to talk about in a minute was one that they found that didn't have a name on it. Or it had an inscription to an unknown God. So this disturbed Paul. All, this, all these idols and all these different things. And so he was distressed by it. Goes on in verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. So, what was Paul doing? He was going around telling people what he knew about Jesus. And so, a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. So, he was engaged with these people about what he knew and what he understood about God about Jesus and the resurrection. These two groups here, the Epicureans, very different. The Epicureans were kind of carefree, you know, don't worry about it, have a glass of wine, it's no problem. It'll, it'll all get worked out in the end. But these others, these Stoic philosophers, were people who were very rigid, and they knew they had all the answers to everything. They were the kind of people that dotted the, all the I's and crossed all the T's. And so he's engaging with these people. And he goes on, some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? And this is cool because a Bible story wouldn't call Paul a babbler, would he? This kind of tells you that Luke is telling it exactly as it took place. And so they said, what is this babbler trying to say? Other remarks, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. So what does this tell you? They knew nothing about Jesus. They knew nothing about God. And the way Paul was describing it, where was their faith? Zero. They were at a zero starting point, which is really, really important because if we want to start our faith from zero, this is a great place to do it because they were starting from scratch. And what was Paul saying? They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about who? Jesus. And what else? The resurrection. What was Paul talking with him? Did he bring up the Old Testament? Did he bring up, well, the gospel says, no, because it wasn't in existence yet. Paul was telling them, I know what I know about Jesus because not too far from here in Athens, just over there in Judea, I was there and I talked to the people who were there with Jesus. They saw the miracles that he did. They were with him for years and they, they heard what he said about his death and they sat and they saw and were a part of his resurrection. And then one day as I was on the road to Damascus, I heard the voice of Jesus. And so he's describing this to them. And so this was his message. This is what Paul is beginning their faith with. He was talking about the good news, not bad news, not pointing their finger at them, or you guys better get your act together, or no, it's good news. And what is the good news? 
that God can give you a starting point. That no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been involved in, you can start over again. There can be a starting point for your faith. And then he talked about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19 goes on. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting at the Aragopagus, where they said to him, May we know this new teaching that you were presenting? And so this was something brand new for them. They'd never heard of this. And they had no background about the Jewish faith and who God is and, and Moses and, and Noah and, and Adam. They had zero. And they wanted to know. They said, hey, come to this place. And the Aragopagus is actually a place in Athens. You can go to the place. This is actually the, the, the stone upon which the Aragopagus was, was built. And you can literally go to Athens and stand on the ground that Paul was delivering his message. What does that tell you? This isn't a Bible story. This was a conversation at a particular place with specific people. And that's very important for us to understand. And so on this place, Paul engaged, and this was a, a very important place where they had city council meetings. It was a place of judgment where they would basically have court trials and they would decide very important things. People would come here to debate different things about, you know, philosophies, laws, different things. So it was, it was a place with a huge audience, an important place. And so this is what he says. This is what they said. They, you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Okay, so Paul, give us some more. We're interested in what you're saying because some of what you're saying has got our attention. In other words, all of us, at some point or another, we've got some desire to know more about God. No matter what your background in, there's a hunger and there's a thirst for God in your heart. And so, this is where we're going to begin. I want you to imagine yourself in their shoes saying, hey, tell me, Paul, tell me what's the starting point for my faith. If I want to hit the reset button, if I want to restart, just like I would restart my phone, I want to know how can I restart my faith? Because i got to tell you, there's been many, many, many times in my walk as a minister and as a Christian, I needed a reboot, a restart. And so how do you do that? And Paul's going to tell us because this is exactly how they started with zero faith. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Aragopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. Now, how did he know that? How did he know they're very religious? Because they got temples everywhere. They got altars everywhere. And so the real word here, what he's saying is, is you're very what? Superstitious. You ever come across somebody that, you know, they, they walk, they be sure not to step on the cracks, and, and they got a rabbit's foot keychain, and, you know, it's, it's kind of weird, but people feel like there's something going on, and they don't know what it is. And so Paul says, hey, hey, I know you guys are God seekers of some kind. You're spiritual. You know that there's more out there than what you can see. 
and you're trying. And so he goes on. And then he says, For as I walked around, looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found this altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, this is what the altar looked like, because this was actually a photograph of one of the ruins that they found in Greece. And there, there's, there's not one. This may not be the one, but there were several. And so they found this. It may, may very well be a picture of the one. But why did they have an altar? Let me ask you a question. With this inscription, unknown God. What, what do you think? You go ahead and answer. What, what do you think was the reason that they had an altar to an unknown It's Just in case, Right? Right? In case a God that they didn't recognize or they didn't know shows up and they say, oh, hey, it's you. We've been expecting you. We just didn't know what your name was, right? And so we even have, we even have an altar for you. We just didn't know your name. What does that tell you? They're covering all their bases, aren't they? And here's the truth. They weren't certain about their faith. And this is true of all religions. There are certain areas where there's unknowns. You know, I know some, but I don't know everything. I have some answers, but I don't have all the answers. And for them, they had a lot of temples, a lot of altars. But this tells you what? They weren't certain I mean, Paul was basically saying to them, you guys are guessing, right? You, you guys, you, you guys, you guys are, are taking a shot at something that you're not sure of, right? And we laugh. We go, oh, yeah, they had an unknown God. Guess what? Don't laugh too loud. Because some of you only come to church once in a while. Why is that? Come to church in Easter and you know, Christmas and, you know, occasionally once in a while. Why do you do that? Why do you come to church once in a while? Why are you spiritual once in a while? And let's just be honest. Oh, hey, God, you know, I, 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 you know, I went to church about a month ago, or you're covering your bases, aren't you? You're doing the exact same that they did. Just in case I go to church once in a while, just in case I'm not absolutely sure about God and I sure don't know the Bible really well, but I'm doing it just in case. And I pray occasionally, just in case. See, you're using God as a good luck charm. What kind of faith is that? And he goes on, Paul says this. He says, so you were ignorant. And this wasn't an insulting word, okay? He wasn't being insulting but it's basically you don't know what you're doing. You're unaware of the very thing that you worship. You've got all these temples, and, and you guys go to, you go to temple, and you go to do this, but you're not aware. Do you know how many people are like that? Do you know how many people go to church, and they really don't know why they go to church, and they're doing it the same way that these guys are doing it? just to cover their bases, just in case. And when they get sick, guess what they do? They start wearing pendants. And then they bring the Bible out, and they have the Bible there, and they put it in the living room so that everybody sees it. 
and they get the picture frame out, and, and, and there's Jesus, and they got Jesus in the bedroom. Why do, they, why do they do that? Because they don't know, and they're trying to cover their bases. And I just want to say this to all of us who are here today. Don't use God. Come to know who he is and what he wants from your life so that your faith is strong, that it's not a superstition, it's not a good luck charm, it's not a just-in-case faith, it's not an insurance program, that you've got it in a file, and then when you need it, you can pull it out. No. It's so much greater than that, so much more powerful than that. And this is basically what Paul's saying. You guys are guessing. You don't know. And some of us, you got to be honest. Are you guessing with your faith? Are you gambling with your faith? Or do you have a firm foundation of what you believe? And you can have a firm foundation. And that's why it's so important we're doing this series. Because I've seen too many people, as life goes on, as they're adults and they go through things, they've seen their parents and what their parents' faith wasn't their faith, and they couldn't stand the test of different challenges in their life. And so I want to encourage you to stop guessing and start learning and start growing and start building your faith on solid ground. And so he goes on in verse 23. So you are ignorant of the very things that you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. I'm going to take the un out of known, and I'm going to make it known to you. Man, aren't you glad we get to hear this, that we can hear what Paul is going to say? I mean, it's just like, okay, I, I want to know what he says here. I want to know how he describes God in this situation. Because I want to reset my faith the same way that the first century Christians reset their faith. What was it on? And he goes on. And this is so, so important. So, I, you know, if you're, if you're texting, if you're not paying attention, I want to bring you back in. This is so important that you hear what he's about to share. This is huge. This got my attention big time as a college student. Because I was asking that question myself. Why am I here, God? What's the purpose of life? Why am I living and breathing, walking, going to college? What am I doing here on this planet? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he doesn't live in temples built by man, by human hands. He's saying, listen, you guys are trying to put God in a box. God will not fit in a building. You can't put God in a building. You can't put him in a book. You can't put him in a temple. You can't put him in a country. He's much bigger than that. He's great and glorious. He's big. And he goes on and he says, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. See, they had a concept of their Greek mythology gods that they interacted, that the gods needed them. He's saying, listen, that's all wrong. God doesn't need you. He's, in fact, the provider. He's the one who gives to you. He's the one that gives you life and breath. He is the creator of everything. He goes on in verse 26. From one man, 
He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He's not saying, as was and is the customs today, is each country has their own religion. I don't care what religion it is. Everybody wants to create borders and boundaries. Well, this is our nation's religion. He's saying, listen, it's not God of one nation. It's the God of all nations, all peoples, everywhere, the worldwide God. And this is for everyone. And he put men in all the nations, and he did it with a purpose, and he appointed times and places with a purpose. And he goes on. God did this so that men would what? Now, this is huge. This is so important. Why did God create men? So that they would what? Seek him. And then this is a huge word, and perhaps. Why perhaps? That's right. It's your choice. He's not going to force it on you. And not everybody's going to want to be spiritual and and understand and and follow God. Not everybody's going to want that. Some people want to excuse themselves. Well, I just want to live for today, knowing that there's a tomorrow, knowing that there's a life after this life. Well, I don't care about that. I just want to live for here and now and have a good time. See, that's the perhaps. And he was saying it to them. But man, when I was in college and I read this for the first time, I said, that's it. That's why I'm here. Because see, what I believed for so long and what the world was telling me was, you're put on this earth to get an education. So you start in kindergarten or nursery school and they educate you and they continue to educate you. You go to elementary school, middle school, high school. Then some of you are going to go to college And then after college, you may get another degree, but then you're going to get a job. And then what do you do when you get a job? You start buying stuff, more stuff, and you wrap your life around that stuff. And then you get married and you have children. And then you grow your career, you buy more stuff, and then you end your life and you die. And that's it. Let me tell you, when I was in college, that purpose did not get my attention. I'm like, that can't be it. I got something going on inside of me that's telling me there's more to life than what I see and what the people are pushing on me to buy and sell. There's much more out there. And when I looked into the sky and saw the storm clouds coming in and, and and the sunset and the sunrise, and I'm looking around, I'm going, wow. And you turn the music off and you and you turn off all the media and you go, This is amazing. There must be a God. And there must be a greater purpose to my life than what everybody's telling me out there in the world. And what all the institutions are telling me, oh, it's this, it's this, it's this. And I began my own quest to find out what is the reason. And this this resonated with me. God created me, created you, so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out to him for and find him, though he is not what? He's not that far away. 
The question is, will you stop and connect with him? Will you slow down your go-go life with enough time to reach out and see that he's all around you, you're just not paying attention? And it's so sad to see people that never find him because they don't think it's important, they don't make the time, and they're satisfied with the superficial purpose that this world is dishing out. So today, I want to I call you to something deeper. And some of you, I believe you have faith, but I don't know if you are really walking in this purpose. And you know what I started when I started, when I got this, I started to pray each and every day. And I started to see this isn't about a religion. This is about a relationship. And so when I started reading the Scriptures and reading the New Testament and reading about Jesus, I read it with a totally different take. I said, this is who God is. God sent Jesus to close the gap so that I can know who He is, how He is, how He would respond if I were face-to-face with Him. This is God. And then I would start to talk to God, not as I had been taught as a child to pray, you know, the monologue, the, the, the repeated prayers. I started to have conversations with God, asking him for help, asking him for understanding, and asking him for a closer relationship. And man, things started happening. But you've got to experience that for yourself. And that's what Paul is telling them. God put you on this earth with the perhaps question. And I hope that today you can take responsibility for your relationship with God and not expect it to be handed to you just because you go to church once in a while. It's got to be deeper than that. And he goes on in verse 28, for in him we move and have our being. And this is what is so cool about Paul. Did Paul quote the Old Testament here? No, he didn't. He quoted one of their own poets, which is so cool. He makes the connection with what they already kind of understand. See, because a lot of people are already scratching the surface. And look at what their own poets, the Greek poets said. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And he's saying to the Greeks there, you guys aren't that far off. You're scratching the surface that God is interested in a relationship with you as a father and a son, a father and a daughter. That's what he's after. This isn't about sitting in rows. This is about a walk in a relationship with God that you participate in on a regular basis. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like of gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. You guys got to get rid of these, these wooden idols that you have. They don't move or talk or walk. or They're not helping you. They're stones. You say, man, that, that was an ignorant time back then, wasn't it? People following idols. People bowing down before stones. Well, that's really ignorant of them. That, that was some simple times, wasn't it? Think it's any different today? 
what are you worshiping? Really? What are you, what are you taking? Seriously, what are you taking a knee to? Really? It may not be an, a throne or a stone or a piece of wood, but maybe it's a career. Do you know how empty it is to, to, to live for a career and that's it? You can get fired. And that, that's your whole life. You're nobody. If you live for a career, what happens when you have to go in a different direction? If you live for a relationship, boyfriend or girlfriend, you know what that can happen to that? It can be over. What happens then? If that's your purpose, your life. Oh, but he's Mr. Wonderful. And she's wonderful. No, you don't understand. We're doing the exact thing, same thing. We're thinking that our God is something like of gold or silver, or a car, a house, a, a bank account. Really? See, it's just changed around. We, we don't have altars like this. We've got other altars. Wells Fargo. Chase. You know, and we go there and we worship, you know, with the ATM. Dun, 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 dun. Can I get a little? Really? That's what you're living for? That's the purpose of your life? And so we're a lot like this. He's saying in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now. See, God put up with it for a little while because he understood things weren't clear. Maybe things weren't clear for you in your life. But now things have changed. What he means by now is basically during my lifetime, just 20 years ago, everything changed 20 years ago. When Jesus came, everything changed. The gap was closed. We don't have to live in ignorance anymore. There's understanding. And so he's called, he's commanded all peoples, not just in the U.S., not in, not in, you know, in, in, in Palestine, people everywhere, of all nations, he commands them everywhere to repent. What does this word mean, repent? Not like you think it means, repent of sin. What he's talking about here is change your mind. Change the way you think about life. Change your understanding. It's not the way you think. The way you're walking around doing your daily routine from 9 to 5, is, it's not what you think. It's much greater than that. It's much deeper than that. And so he's saying, guys, I want you to change your mind because now is a very, very important time. And he goes on and he says this in verse 31. For he has set a day in which he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof. Now, wait a minute, Paul. You're saying there's proof? I thought there's no proof in religion. I, think there's, I thought there was uncertainty in religion. And he's saying, no, there's proof. There's proof of what we're following. Just like there's proof of George Washington was the first president of the United States. How do you know that? Because there's historical, documented witnesses who wrote it down and said he was there, he was in the White House, he started the country. And this is what he said, this is what he did. It's the same. We've got proof. We're not following stories. This is accounts of people who were there. It's so much more powerful than Bible stories. 
when we get into the New Testament history, he has given us proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And the most powerful thing that sets Jesus above and, and, and far overshadows everyone else is that he rose from the dead. No one's ever done that. But Paul, how do you know he rose from the dead? He says, I talked to the people who were there at the time. It was Jesus' brother. I'll never forget the conversation with James. James would tell me how he would make fun of Jesus when he was doing his ministry, you know, and they were going up to the temple for a feast, and he said, oh, yeah, Jesus, you go because you're important. You go because you're really an important guy, and you should be there. And they made fun of Jesus. And Jesus says, you guys can go anytime because you're of low impact. But my time has not yet come. And James remembers how he made fun of Jesus, but when Jesus rose from the dead and stood in front of him and said, James, what are you doing? Everything changed. He's not just my brother now. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my Messiah. And Paul had his own experience where he came in contact with Jesus. See, Paul was a hater of Christians. He was a murderer. What changed him? He says, I was there, guys. He's giving me proof. And I'm here as a witness to tell you. And you can go to Judea and Palestine. And this is before the scriptures. Okay, guys? And then he goes on. And we think, this is the point here. Proof moves us from hope, hope so, to know so. And this is what I want to encourage you to do. To move from hope so to know so. And you can. And it isn't just this information. The relationship that you build with God will give you the assurance as well as what we know from the New Testament and the writers of the New Testament. You can know for sure. The changes that started happening in my life, the perspective, the awareness, everything, it was, it was amazing and still is. But here's where, where the reset button had to come into play for me. Because see, a lot of us can get caught up in the busyness of life and even in religion, people in church. And forget, this is about our daily relationship with God. So on a scale from 1 to 10, how would you scale your relationship? Do you even have a relationship? Do you even pray? And it frightens me to hear how few of us make time to pray. And I'm not talking about meal prayers. That's great. I'm talking about you and God sitting down and talking. Turn the music off, turn the media off, you and him connecting on a daily basis. That's huge. And so Paul wraps it up. For he has set a day when he will judge the world by, by the man, and he has given the appointed time, and he has given us proof to this, or of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection... Okay, now check this. When they heard about the resurrection, they fell on their knees and repented and set about destroying all their idols and altars. Is that what it says? No, that's not. I made this part up. 
this is why it's so important for you guys to get your Bibles out and read because this isn't even in there. I made this part up, okay? This part, this last part. This part, yes, that's the verse. This part is completely made up. That's a Bible story, right? A Bible story would say this is how they responded to Paul's message. Is this how they responded? You guys better bring your Bible next time. Don't trust it just because it's on the screen. Okay? This is what really is said. This is, tells you. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered at Paul. Psh, Paul, you're crazy. Now, this is a true story. See, because he wasn't describing it the way it should be. It's the way it was. Just like in any situation, people are going to sneer. Ah, you and your Christianity, you and your faith, you and your prayers. Really? That's how people are. It's sad but true. But you have to decide who you're going to be. But others, others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. So in this whole series that we're going to be doing called Starting Point, we're going to be going back to the beginning so you and I can hit the reset button to our faith. The amazing thing is these people, and it goes on, you can read the rest of the, the, the chapter and the verse, people came to faith that day, and they began to seek God. And I hope that you can build a solid foundation for your, for your faith. And so what is the starting point for the Christian faith? What is it? And this is the question. It starts off with the question, who is Jesus? And getting to know who Jesus is. And then the third thing is here, or the second thing is, it's a relationship with God. It's not a religion. It's not an ideology. It's a relationship. And I want to encourage you this week to begin talking to God on an individual basis. That you'll set aside time in your schedule to get close to him, to get to know him. And even if you want to take it a step further, start reading the Gospels each and every day so that you can get connected. See, because the starting point is, isn't the Bible says. The starting point is, who is Jesus? And what did he do for me? And what did he say that's relevant for me in my life right now? And yes, it's going back to the Bible, but you've got to understand, again, the Gospels... Where they stood on their own. And then it's a relationship with God. That means it's individual. Somebody can't do this for you. It has to be yours. It can't be your mom and dad's faith. It has to be your faith. And I want to encourage you to work on your faith. And so I'm going to give you some homework. Two questions this week that you can talk in your small groups and talk amongst your close friends is, how and when did you begin your faith journey? And this is important to talk about. Where did it begin? And for some of you, it may have been here where I grew up in this church. For some of you, it may have been, you know, somewhere else or something else. Describe that. And how well has your faith held up during the rigors of life? And this is where you've got to be gut-level honest. You know, I left God. I walked away. And I went and did some other things that I'm not very proud of. What's that tell you about your faith? It wasn't strong enough. 
So this is a great opportunity for you to restart and reboot so that your faith can stand the test of time, so that your faith can be an adult faith, a mature faith, a a faith where your, your mind is completely engaged and your heart is completely engaged so that you can have that childlike faith as an adult. But things won't rock you. Things won't make you waver. So we're going to pray now for the communion. And I just want you to remind you that Jesus died so that we could have this opportunity to know God, to be right with God, and to start over. And so I want to encourage you, in your prayer for the communion, I want to encourage you to pray for a new start. And that's what God gives through the blood of Jesus. So pray with me, if you would. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to start over with our faith. And God, I I know that many times in my life I have needed a reset. And I know many times, like today, we need a reset. And I pray that all of us can, can start anew to build our faith on the resurrection, on Jesus, and on a relationship with you. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we can remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, the passion that he displayed, and how badly he wanted us to be right with you and to be in a right relationship with you. God, help us to respond to your passion, to your love, as we take the communion and we remember Jesus' body and Jesus' blood that was poured out for us so we could be in a right relationship, that we don't have to walk around not knowing and be uncertain We can be certain because you love us that much. God, bless this communion, and please forgive us, God, and give us a new start. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.